we feel that you know sinking in your stomach or a tightness in your chest when you hear those hurtful words, then you're like, okay, uh, this is one of those, I can choose my door right now. I have to figure out which how I'm going to proceed. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode today because I'm introducing something new that I think is going to be really beneficial and empowering for parents out there. So sometimes the struggle we face as parents are made exponentially harder because we feel like we are the only ones experiencing them. And then we come to find so many other families are actually dealing with the same exact things and then we realize we're not alone. So many times I'll sort of guest in a mom's group and I'll see one really brave mom step forward and ask a question and then everyone chimes in that what they're experiencing is so similar. And it like there's like a sigh of relief from the person who brought the question up. So I'm going to try to recreate that experience here on the podcast. After all, we have our own version of a parent's support group right here on Securely Attached. So let's use it. Okay. So in this episode, I have asked a very special guest to join me. I really am excited to introduce you to Dr. Emily Upshur. She's the co-founder of our joint group practice, Upshur Bren Psychology Group. And Emily is a clinical psychologist and she has so many years of experience working with children and families and postpartum mamas. And her wealth of experience is like too vast to name in one podcast episode, but I'll give you a brief overview. Um, she previously worked as a clinical director for the Center of Trauma and Resilience at Mount Sinai Beth Israel, which is where she and I met. And she has worked as a supervising psychologist at the Motherhood Center in New York City. If any of you guys are familiar with that, that is an amazing resource for postpartum parents. And so Emily has so much real world experience. She's also a mom of three. So I told you she's going to have amazing insights. I'm so excited for you to meet her. And she and I are so aligned in our approach to working with families that we just launched our very own group practice here in Westchester, New York, called Upshur Bren Psychology Group. So in this new recurring segment on the podcast, Emily and I are going to get together and we are going to tackle any question you've got, all of your burning questions about parenting, child development, maternal mental health, anything that keeps you up at night or leaves you feeling confused or frustrated or maybe even ashamed and really no question is off limits. And also don't worry because it's always going to be anonymous. So please feel free to give us your best and your worst. Bring it on and we will do our best to answer them. Okay, so enough talking about this. I can't wait for you guys to get to know Emily more. We're going to start with one question that I get asked all the time. We're going to address a mom's request for advice on dealing with her son who just started throwing out the I hate you talk. So I've been there before. Um, I assume many of you listeners have been there before. If you haven't, just wait. It's likely coming and that's okay. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. We're going to discuss strategies to use and how to apply these strategies kind of to any behavior that we as parents perceive, perceive as like a deliberate attack on us from our children. Perceive being the keyword. spoiler alert. Um, so, you know, depending on our kid's age, it can be anything from saying they want a new family to just taking their shoes off and throwing them after we just put them on. Um, but we're going to talk about it in the context of this one particular question. And 
expand on that. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Emily. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. I've built a career dedicated to helping families find deep connections, build healthy relationships, repair attachment wounds, and raise kids who are healthy, secure, resilient, and kind. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights to help you understand the building blocks of children's social, emotional, and cognitive development so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi. So I'm so excited to introduce everybody to a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, This is Emily Upshur, and she and I work together, and I'm so excited that you're joining me on this podcast. So do you want to share a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself? I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've known Sarah for so long. I'm really excited to talk about these uh, things with you and sort of, you know, go forward helping people with some of these parenting things. Um, I'm a mom of three, so lots of uh, real life data here <laughs> to to work on. Um, and uh, I've been in practice for now about five years, and was working as a faculty member in a hospital before that. So really, many years now of being in the field, and just really enjoy doing this work and trying to figure out these um, challenges in parenting and child things together. Yeah. And like you actually are a huge inspiration for my entering this area of work because I remember the day you came to my house and were like, you have got to start seeing kids. And I was like, I see adults. And you were like, no, you do the work you do with adults and that will help you do the work you do with kids because you look at kids kind of like adults in a way that not in not thinking of them as adults, but understanding in, within their developmentally appropriate range that like they're still humans, whole people. And that l- aligned so much with my view as a mom to my children of how I parented. And I was like, wow, you know, I've always felt that there was a huge connection between the way I parented and the work I did with my patients, trying very hard to separate those two things, of course, but still like they informed one another. And so I think you're motivating me to kind of, and pushing me along to sort of pivot into the parenting world has been something that I, I have not looked back. So yeah, no, it's great. I mean, we're really relationship people. And so that's what it is. And relationships cut across age, right. And they cut across all of those things. So we, when it boils down to it, we talk about how to have healthy relationships. Yes. And so that's why I'm so excited for you to be here right now because I get a lot of questions uh, from parents on like, okay, my kid is doing this and I don't know what to do, or I'm feeling this when my kid does this and I don't know what to do. And so I was, you know, that whole idea of this sort of segment of the podcast going forward is really just to have an opportunity for like you and me as both moms, but also as psychologists to sit down and look through some of these questions and give our own takes, give our own um, sort of ways of understanding what we really think is going on under the hood when, when these things are happening. And also just sort of like share our experience as moms. Um, 
So with that, I'm going to read this question because I thought it'd be a good one to start with because I get it a lot. Um, And I bet you do too. So my five-year-old son's new thing when he gets mad or something doesn't go his way is that he immediately lashes out and says, I don't like you or I hate you or I want a new family. I want a new mommy and daddy. How am I supposed to react to this? I don't like it, and I was really hoping that you could give me some tips because now my younger child, who copies everything he does and says, is starting to do the same. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so, you know, look, we, we've all had these moments, and and what's sort of striking is we don't really talk about them a lot, right? Because it hurts us as parents a little bit, right? You know, it's sort of like, oh, is this our parent fail? Like, oh, yeah. My kid is saying these very hurtful things. So I think, you know, our first step when we, when we're in these situations with our kids and our families is to catch ourselves in in our feelings, like, oh, I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling really upset. I'm feeling really angry, you know, and, and then I think we have to figure out how to, to go forward with that. But it's okay to catch yourself and say like, oh, this is such a frustrating situation. This is really challenging, you know, and then, then we have like two doors. How do we feel and how do we act? Mm -hmm. And Mm-hmm. sort of that's where I think we can help a little bit. You know, Sarah's trying to figure out how we can slow down in those moments and figure out, you know, how to proceed in the best way possible as opposed to just reacting, you know, and sort of yeah. back of mind sort of just going for something which can often be hot or, you know, something we re- later regret or feel badly about. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I, in these moments I always feel like, and I've, my kids are a little young for this one. My oldest is three and a half, so he has not yet started telling me that he hates me, although I'm waiting for the day. Um, but but I can definitely recognize in that moment where, um, or like translate this if, if this hasn't been your experience, but a really similar experience is when a kid does something that feels so deliberate to you, right? Like so provocative when like, for example, I'm sitting there putting my kid's shoes on and I turn around and he just takes them right off when we're trying to get out the door. And he's doing it in my mind with full knowledge of the fact that we're trying to get out the door and that this is going to upset me. Or so that's my internal experience. And I find that when I can slow down and say, that's my interpretation of this, I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting this as a, as a volitional provocative button pushing thing Mm -hmm. that makes me feel angry. However, when I slow down and I say, what else could it be? Is he feeling the anxiety of the pressure to get out the door and that's maybe dysregulating for him. And so ugh, he doesn't, he's getting kind of wriggly in his body and uncomfortable in his body. And he's feeling my intensity of like rushing around. And now he's like kind of out of control. And so he's doing things that are not necessarily as volitional as they appear to be. Mm-hmm. And I think these statements, I hate you, or you're not my mommy, or, you know, you're the worst mommy ever. I think these feel volitional in the moment. They feel like my child is choosing to say this to me. But if we can really kind of slow down and look, zoom out and try to look at the whole child in that moment, I think we might find there's a lot of signs that our kid's feeling really out of control and really dysregulated and isn't choosing those words. Sure, They're just kind of the tip of the iceberg in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think it's the tip of the iceberg. And I, and I also think if to your same point, if we think about, 
a different way they could be expressing something, right? So they're trying to tell us something and it might seem provocative mm-hmm. to us, but it, and it might seem, you know, sort of like you're saying, like needling, but it is really trying to tell us something. And if we can look at like the, I don't like you or I hate you is I'm looking for reassurance. Am I okay? If I get really mad, will you still be, you know, love me, <laughs> you know, really, if you break it down, <laughs> then we're talking about a different style of communication. And and this is actually a pretty common style of communication for children, right? Because they're unrefined and they don't know, and they're doing a little bit of trial and error to see what might happen. Um, so, so exactly that, if we're able to take the words that they're saying and hear them with more empathy and depth a little bit, you know, and sort of not take them so personally, mm-hmm. feel secure in our parenting, feel good that, you know, my child doesn't actually hate me. They might be really mad at me at this mm-hmm. moment. And that's different, you know, and, 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 you know, and as a parent, what was you say that we say that all the time? Oh, I hate this. I hate, you know, like, it's not, it's not as if we always hate. Um, so if we can sort of separate that out and, and cause even though it stings and it can feel really painful, what we're really hearing is, I'm really upset and you're the person here. You're, t- you're giving me a limit and I don't like it, right? And if we can try to reframe mm-hmm. those statements mm-hmm. with those other ways of saying it in mind, like a more slowed down, mature, sort of older brain, right? More regulated brain yeah. um, in mind, then we respond better, right? Because if, if that child, mm-hmm. instead of saying, I don't like you or I hate you or, or I want a new family said, I'm so frustrated. I don't like it when you tell me no you know, maybe another family wouldn't tell me no, (laughs) you know, you would be able to respond more calmly yourself. But absolutely. I would be like, wow, right? let me get down on like eye level and give you a really big hug right now. Like I would feel a a real welling of connection and empathy if my child could say that to me. I, I almost wonder if, if we as parents can sort of hear those words anyway. Exactly. Like hear all the things you just said anyway. Um, how different our our emotional state is with our child and how much more we really are like, oh my God, I'm so magnetically attracted to helping you right now okay. versus I'm so magnetically a- repelled by you. Like we have to flip the magnet around. Totally. Yep. That's, I, that's exactly how I see it. And, and I also think, so like we have this sort of microphone in our ear saying, hearing the real thing that they're saying behind the scenes, right? They're mm-hmm. hearing that. So we react to that side, not to what they're actually saying, right? We react to what we imagine they're thinking or feeling, not to what is coming yes. out or the behavior. That's exactly. Which is a hard, hard ask, Very. right? Because I could see a parent in the moment hearing that I hate you and being just kind of flooded themselves and go straight into their own fight or flight. So like, how do we as parents not react immediately to that? How do we actually slow down and calm down enough to be able to hear what, you know, that background microphone, that little helper voice say, wait, hold on. I think what they're saying is I need some help right now. I think there's a couple of things with that. One I think is, you know, purely slow down, right? So it's just really slowing down those moments and not reacting back of mind, you know, not just going right into action. And if we can sort of slow Mm -hmm. ourselves down in those moments, and I think the way you do that is you catch yourself in your feeling as a parent, you catch yourself in, oh, that felt awful. And then you're like, okay, when that happens, what do I do? When I identify that feeling in my body, right? Because all of us, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to change behavior. So in all of us, we have to figure out, 
a connection? Like, how can I connect that? And often that's, that's in our bodies, right? If we feel that, you know, sinking in your stomach or a tightness in your chest, when you hear those hurtful words, um, then you're like, okay, uh, this is one of those, I can choose my door right now. I have to figure out which, how I'm going to proceed. I think that's one important Mm -hmm. way. And in that same slow down moment, you know, doing a little bit of what we just talked about, like challenging your first thought, like, oh, my kid hates me. Does they, do they really hate me? Like do a little talk down, you know, like give yourself a, like a five, five second, like this kid loves me, <laughs> you know, they, you know, this is about, this is not about this, you know, we're so close. I re- we really do have a really strong connection and bond. Of course, my kids loves me and my kid loves me. So you can sort of challenge that automatic thought or that fear that you have, or that thing that the kid is saying that's sort of maybe connecting to your that little teeny, teeny little thing where you're like, oh, I'm a terrible parent. You know, you're like, really? Am I a terrible parent? Right. right? Let me let me talk that down. Another thought I could see a parent having in that moment is, oh my God, my kid has is, is got issues. Or like my kid is going to say really mean things to other kids and no one's going to like my kid if he talks this way. Like, I think there's that parental kind of panic of like, oh my God, what's, going to happen if my kid talks like this? Like this is big stakes stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually, I actually, as a psychologist, as a mom, I'm like, "Uh oh, I know that feeling. And as a psychologist, I'm like, this is not big stakes stuff. You don't have to worry that your kid who's screaming, I hate you right now is going to be a kid who can't make friends or a kid who alienates other people. This is a kid who's hot right now. And all human beings, when they're hot, do stuff that are not really their true self. Um, this is not a window into your child's true self. This is a window into your child's amygdala or like, you know, their their fight or flight system. It's their, it's their suit of armor that comes out when they're feeling threatened. That's not really their true self. We want to help kids have, you know, a relationship to their armor that is not, that's removable, right? Yeah. And so- yeah, yeah I, told, I, I totally agree. And I think part of that is that, you know, kids are, we don't want to sort of collude with their panic, right? Like they're in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to say like, oh yeah, this is terrible. Like maybe you'll never have friends. If we go to that place, sort of we're colluding with their dysregulation. If we can take a step back mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know what? Like you're saying, this isn't big stakes. It feels like it is. But if I can sort of calmly regulate myself in this moment, if I can calm myself down, oh, okay, then my kid is going to calm. I can help them calm down, right? And then it doesn't feel as mm-hmm. catastrophic, right? Not everybody goes to yeah. a catastrophic place. Yeah. So how do we help our kid calm down? You've, you've, you've done the work. You've you heard the, the scary phrase, the, the nasty phrase. You... you Notice in your body that that really feels bad. Mm-hmm. You take a beat, you calm yourself down, you go in, you hear the thing underneath it, right? Okay, my kid's having a hard time. I'm going to help them. Mm-hmm. How do we help our kid that's now, we recognize they're dysregulated. How do we help them regulate? So I always tell parents the first thing to do is label emotion, right? So you do it mm-hmm. yourself and then you do it in your kid, right? So I always say to parents, okay. You reframe that I don't like you as, oh, you're really, really upset with mommy, right? Like you validate that Mm -hmm. feeling and you're able to sit with it and it's not scary for you, right? 
If it's not scary for you, it's not so mm-hmm. scary for them to have a strong feeling. You know, you really don't want to be here. It's so hard when you don't get your way. Oh, that feels really bad. You know, and you just sit with it. You don't make it go away. Yeah. You don't try to fix it. You know, you just, you validate it and you sit with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that can be so powerful for a kid. They're always getting instructed all the time, all day long. And when we have that capacity in the moment to sit with them and not instruct them when they're feeling something, there's so much just kind of being seen and accepted in that moment. It can be very regulating, like really, really regulating. Sure. And it, you know that also slows them down too, sort of this, what do we do as parents? Mm-hmm you know, step number one, try to slow down so we can do those other things. We want to slow our kid down too, so they can feel their feeling. And then we can work on coping, right? And helping them cope. Yeah. Yeah. So naming that feeling, you're so angry. You really didn't like that I said no, or you didn't like fill in the blank. Validating their experience. And then also by sort of naming their experience relatively accurately, you're helping them to make connections between this feeling in my body that I wasn't able to name and just only able to kind of show you by screaming at you. That's upset. That's anger. That's frustration. That's, and the more we do that, this is like that sort of over time parenting. We're helping them internalize these connections, these, okay, I know this feeling. Mom has told me that this feeling is this before. I am starting to learn the language. Yep. I think that then the next step then is to really, it's okay to have those boundaries. So I think a big error in parenting, right, is that we're like, okay, just fine, watch the movie. Okay, fine, you know, have the lollipop, right? Because we're trying to make Mm -hmm. it go away or soothe that with an external thing. So I think maintaining that memory yeah. and saying, I know you you really want the movie, but we're not going to watch that movie tonight. Again, and just sitting with that. Yeah. Right? Not fixing it away, but having a loving boundary there and saying, At really, you really upset that we're not going to watch the movie, but we're not going to watch the movie. Right. Which communicates that that it's also because you're calmly saying this, you're not escalating and kind of being like, you know, if you're not going to sit and if you're not going to be okay with this, then we're going to, you know, forget all of this. We'll just go sit in our rooms. Um, when we, when we, when we don't do that, and which is also an understandable feeling in a parent to sort of be like, I've set this boundary and you're not accepting this boundary. And so here's the consequence of you not accepting the boundary. But there's a kind of a catch 22 there, which is, we're kind of getting lost in the in the wrong goal, right? The, our goal is to communicate the boundary and hold the boundary. Our goal isn't to have our child say, okay, that sounds fine with me. Exactly. And so sometimes I think we get distracted by their rejection of our boundary. And so we think then we have to move on to the next step, which is to convince them that this is an acceptable boundary and now they need to you know, respect it. Respect it, yes, but it's kind of our job to kind of hold it whether they respect it or not. Exactly. But they certainly don't have to be emotionally accepting of it. Certainly. They're probably, yeah, like the reason we have to set the boundary in the first place is because they don't want to accept this. Otherwise, we wouldn't really have to set the boundary. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that teaches such an important lesson, which is tolerating discomfort, right? It's not scary. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be scary. It's that we tell our kids, 
you're going to have this boundary. You might not like it. You don't even have to act like you like it, but you're going to have to tolerate it. And that's just a life lesson that's invaluable, really. Honestly, we're teaching our children resilience in those moments. Yeah. So we name the feeling. We validate the feeling. We help give them some context around why they're feeling that way and why we understand that they're feeling that way. We set the limit. We hold the limit. And then we, again, validate their feelings about the limit being set. And and we're kind of done. Yeah. And I think that I think that the we don't go into fix it mode is a really important thing as a parent. You don't we don't go into make it go away, fix it. You don't have to feel this way. Tomorrow we'll watch a movie. You know, you don't have to go into these fix it modes. Um, I think that that's a really mm-hmm. important thing. And and I'll add one third step actually, which is appropriate coping. Um, I like to give the can do's. So I'll say, okay. You're really upset and you can, whatever is socially appropriate for your family. And, you know, so I say like, I have ones for mine. We have to establish ones for yours, but yelling in a pillow, totally okay in my family. Stomping your feet when you're upset, totally okay in my family. You know, so those are things I like to give them things they can do, right? Because we have coping mechanisms. We have to allow them to have, know what the appropriate coping mechanisms are for our social norms in our families and society as well, obviously. But I like to give them something they can do. So they have these feelings. They want to do something with them too. You know, they have to come sort of uh, to terms with that and how to self-regulate. So I do like to do some can do's um, so that they don't end up doing things they can't do. And then we're back into that sort of punitive cycle again. Yeah. I like that. It's so empowering too. And then it, it starts to help them sort of have a a personal toolbox that they they know about because it, those are probably going to be the same things that you remind them that they can do over and over and over again. And the more you know, kids learn by repetition, I think the more we remind them what they can do, they'll start to generate those um, those options on their own more often. That's a great point. I think, you know, sort of to sum this up a little bit, you're going to feel like you're saying the same simple things over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think that's a real, and it doesn't mean it's not working. And it, again, back to your point of, it doesn't mean your child will have an aha moment. Oh, you're so right, mommy. You know, it um, might (laughs) still see behavior that's dysregulated, but you're safely containing it. And so you're saying the sum it, you might feel like a broken record, but that is sort of, that is normative. So I like to reassure parents that, you know, being consistent in your responses, even if they don't yield a different outcome right away, that's part of, you know, what we we recommend and and that it's, it can be frustrating. So I like to validate that for parents because you might feel like a broken record, but those sort of reassuring, firmly, lovingly setting limits and giving the same coping, you might be like on repeat over and over, one step, one through three, over and over again. For years, for years. And like, I think that's such an important point, Emily. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of times parents will ask me about like tantrums and how to respond to tantrums or dysregulated behavior or acting out, whatever. And the goal of the question is really, how do I get this to stop? And I think ultimately my work with parents is to help them realize your goal is actually to have a response that you feel comfortable with and that works in helping to sort of ebb and contain the dysregulation that you're prepared to and understand you will be using over and over and over and over and over again because the tantrums won't stop. Not until you've got like 
a 25 year old (laughs) when their frontal lobes are fully formed. So it it will change. It will look different over time, but you're going to do it with your teens. You're going to do it with your middle schoolers. You're going to do it with your six-year-olds. You're going to do it with your three-year-olds. Kids get dysregulated. And so we are, our goal isn't really actually to get it to stop. Our goal is to have a way that we can stay calm and respond to it effectively on repeat. Exactly. Yep. That's precisely. I, I often call parents a container, right? It's not really our job mm-hmm. to make it stop, but it is our job to sort of hold our own feelings, hold their feelings, you know, and, and not let it sort of explode. Mm-hmm. We just contain it. And so, and there's safety in that. And, and really, truly people do, kids and, and adults too, really do learn to self-regulate through that, it re, you know, but it does take a lot of repetition yeah. and a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think knowing that that's the goal allows us to have, I think, more um, stamina for it. Yep, exactly. Yep. And practice. I always joke Mm -hmm. that, uh, I always joke that your kids tantrums are these sort of, you know, these questions, these things that your kids are, these hurtful things, like in this question that your kids are saying, you know, if we can reframe that as practice of you doing this, that's really helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Because we, we try to avoid it. And if we avoid it, we don't actually have practice in doing these things that we're discussing right now. So I'm like, I, people are always like, oh, that's terrible. But I'm like, look, it's an opportunity to practice this stuff. We don't want to avoid it always. We yeah. want to have, you know, look, kids, our kids give us plenty of opportunity, you know, to practice. I know. And it's good for us to practice and it's good for them to practice. So like everybody's getting a nice, good workout when we do this. Yeah. And it's really healthy for everybody to do that. Totally. And working out isn't always enjoyable, right? It's hard and it's hard work. <laughs> right. Right. Ah, oh, this has been so good. I um I'm going to start collecting more questions so that we can do this more often. Yeah. And you know, if anyone who's listening has ideas um you know, questions that are on their mind or struggles that they're having or things that they're like embarrassed about. We, Emily and I love a good shame breaker. You know, we really like to pop those guilt bubbles and give people some perspective on why what what you might be feeling shame or embarrassment or guilt about may actually be something worth embracing and feeling a little bit better about. Um, so yeah, you can always send us your questions. Um, you can get, well, I'll put the contact information for how to send us questions in the show notes. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Thanks so much. See you soon. Thank you for listening to our very first Q&A session. I really hope you enjoyed it. Emily's definitely going to be back. So if you have a question and you want to get some guidance on it, please send me an email at info at or shoot me a DM and let me know. And if this topic resonated with you and you're thinking, oh yeah, I've definitely been there and you'd like to share something that's worked with you with your own kids or maybe just offer supportive comment for this mom who is so brave in sharing her question and all the other moms and dads and parents dealing with the same issue right now, head over to at Securely Attached Podcast on Instagram and comment on this episode's post. And you can always check out my website to find my free guides and resources, everything from book recommendations for you and for your kiddos and guides that can help you parent more efficiently and effectively. There's lots that you can explore there. That website is drsarahbren.com. 
And that's all for this week. Please subscribe or follow the podcast and don't forget to rate and review it while you're there too. Thanks so much for listening and don't be a stranger.